Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Well, before I read our scripture for this morning, I want to invite you to be in prayer this week for another reason. In addition to sending out our team to Impact Richmond, and I'm told over two dozen of our youth that are involved in scouting have gone out on a, on a mission trip also, it's going to be a big week for the United Methodist Church. The five jurisdictional conferences of the United Methodist Church in Northern America will be gathering together to elect bishops this week. And while some people don't feel as connected to a bishop, when they tell you where you're going to go and live and preach and teach, you pay attention to the bishop. So our current bishop, Bishop Cho, is retiring, and so one of his last acts as bishop was to fix the appointments for this year, which has led me to be here with you. And it's an important thing to realize that not only are our bishops in charge of ordering the life of our annual conference, which is almost the entire state of Virginia, but our bishops are also in charge of leading the church in through difficult periods and times, helping us to find purpose in the midst of strife and helping us to see where we're called to go forth and act and embody Christ for the world. And so our 44 delegates will be leaving from Virginia and heading down to Lake Junaluska and North Carolina. And there they will be gathering with other delegates from the conferences that stretch from Virginia all the way down to Florida and almost all the way to Alabama. And they will be electing our five bishops for the next four years. That will be happening. And these bishops are charged with a very important task. If you were following the events of General Conference, which is the global gathering of United Methodists that took place in Portland, Oregon in May, you will know that a commission was called forth from that, this great commission to determine how the church will both react to, respond, and determine what the church will look like as it wrestles for one last time with issues of human sexuality. And the bishops were specifically called upon by the governing body of General Conference to lead us in this, to help us determine how we can stay united even as the, this issue is so polarizing, not only among churches and conferences, but among households, family, and friends. And so the election of bishops will have huge ripple effects, not only in the appointments for the coming four years, but also for how the church will be perceived and whom the church will receive. And so for this, I ask for your prayers. Our bishop has asked us to have our congregations pray on this. Um, and I invite you this week, especially as they meet from the 13th to the 15th, to be in prayer for those people who were given the heavy mantle to discern and elect our bishops. I pray that you will join me in that prayer throughout this week. Will you hear this scripture from the book of Amos? This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laced, And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. 
Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away from the land to Judah. Earn your bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it's a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. The word of the Lord. Amen. Now, I have no doubt that this is not the kind of scripture that you envision on a morning such as this. I'm sure that if you were looking for words of comfort, you wouldn't have gone to one of the minor prophets, who, by the way, are not minor in importance, but minor in the shortness of their passages. And so Amos comes to us today in our lectionary text, and we're left wondering, what is going on? Really? And she decides to preach on a passage with prostitute on her second Sunday? Yes! If it's in the Bible, we're going for it. And so let me break it back down to what exactly was going on in this passage. So Amos is a prophet called up for God on the job of prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel. But this isn't who he is or what he had been doing. His job had been a herdsman the dresser of sycamore trees also, so he kind of dabbled a little bit in livestock and in agriculture. Sounds a little bit like some people in Crozet. And Amos was called forth from the southern kingdom of Judah to go up to the northern kingdom, which was doing much better from a worldly sense politically, militarily. Its monarchy was much more recognized than that of Judah. And Amos was said, go up there and tell my people that they have not done my will. Go up there and tell my people that they have wandered from my ways, they have not kept my word, and there will be an outcome for that. That if you don't stay faithful, that the Lord will no longer be able to stave off the outcome of your sin. And so that is what Amos does. He goes up to preach this message, that it's not too late, that we can still repent and return to the ways that we are called, but we have to do that now. We can't put it off forever. Because the people in the northern kingdom had become complacent. They had their own lives and their own busyness, and they had taken to doing things their way and not God's way. And so Amos is sent to them, and the priest and the king take great offense at what Amos has to say. How dare you come up here and tell us that things aren't going well? Because if things aren't going well with the people, then that must be our fault, and we can't possibly do, be doing anything wrong. And so rather than saying, wait, you know, 
hold on, maybe there is some truth to what he's saying. Maybe we have gotten a little lax. Maybe we, maybe we need to reinvigorate our prayer life, return to reading the scriptures, make sure that our worship is enlivened and worthy of the God who has saved us and provides for us. No, instead of saying that, what they said was, get out. I don't want to hear what you have to say because everybody knows that if you get rid of the messenger, the message is false, right? There's no message if there's no messenger, and so that's their desire. Get out. Go home. Go back to whatever it was you did. Go earn your living doing prophesying there. And Amos says, but that's not who I am. I'm not here to earn money. I'm not here so that you can pay me to stave off destruction. I'm here to tell you that God has had enough and that eventually our sin will bear evil in this world. And the people don't want to hear it. So the priest plots against the prophet. And unfortunately for the priest, the prophet has one more message to give to him. You have been part of this, and your disobedience to God will result in destruction for your family. It will come down to bear on your wife and your children, and ultimately you will discover that all of the northern kingdom are going to go into exile. And Amos was right. It wouldn't be too long before a powerful military and political might of the Assyrian Empire in the Northeast would sweep down into the Northern Kingdom, conquer it, and obliterate it as it was ever known. They would never be able to rebound from that conquering and the exile because the Assyrian Empire had a horrific way of dealing with their conquered lands. Instead of just coming in and plugging in a governor, as the Roman Empire did, the Assyrians came in and picked up a huge group of the population and shipped them off to another conquered territory and brought in people from that conquered territory back in. But they also did it from other conquered territories that they had, so that ultimately you had this huge conglomerate of people who didn't speak the same language, who were not culturally compatible, they didn't even understand the culture of one another, and they certainly didn't worship the same way. Their religions were so divergent that sometimes they were just explosive when they were crammed together in a new country. And so that's what happened to the Northern Kingdom. This is why we have 10 lost tribes, because we lost them to social mayhem inflicted upon them by the Assyrian Empire. And God did not want this for God's people. This was not the plan. The plan was, I save you from your bondage in Egypt, and I get you over to this promised land flowing with milk and honey, and I plant you there, and then you grow up like beautiful vines and bless the world with your fruit. That is not what is going on. Instead, they got all tied up in their own will and their own ways. And that cannot last forever. And so ultimately what will happen is that the people, they didn't get separated from God because God shut the door. They pushed God out of their lives. They pushed God so far out of who they were and what they did that in the space that they had created between themselves and God, other sin and other evil swept in. Out of that space came the entire Assyrian army and changed their life forever. When we fall away from God, we create a space in which havoc can and ultimately does come. When we wander away from our Lord and from our spiritual disciplines that keep us yoked to our God, 
we fail to see our sin manifesting itself until it is too destructive. We become people who think everything's okay, it's all right, and then next thing you know, tragedy smacks into our life. And we're going, how did that happen? I'm a person of God. And it's not that God has ever turned God's back on us, but instead that we have created a space, a divide, and a chasm between ourselves and our Lord. And that's what Amos was trying to tell the northern kingdom. Don't make this space. We're called to draw close to the Lord, to come before the Lord in our worship and in our service, and to be united together as the body of Christ, not only by the presence and the movement of the Holy Spirit, but by our commitment to one another, that we are willing to sustain one another and call each other into account, both in our prayers and our scripture and our worship, our fellowship, our missions and our ministries. And if we're not willing to do that, then what is the point? What are we doing? Now, some of us come to church because we realize that this is the place where we encounter God in radical and transformative ways. Some of us come to church because mom said it's Sunday morning and we are going to church. I was one of those people for a long time. And some of us are here because we're looking for something. There's a hunger in our belly. There's a thirst in our mouth and nothing seems to quite fill it. There's nothing out there that seems to be doing it for us, that seems to make us whole. And so we come here looking for whatever it is. And the truth is, it's God. It's God in many forms and through many vessels. It's the ministries and the missions of the church that not only help us help others, but help God help us. And so we come to the church to find that. And the church is needed now more than ever. If you've been watching the violence springing up in our landscape, you know that the world is in a place of tremendous hatred and violence and death and destruction. And so many of us come here this morning looking for sanctuary, looking for a place where we don't have to see the videos replaying over and over in our heads, where we don't have to have that nauseous feeling in the pit of our stomach that the fabric of our society seems to be disintegrating as it's ripped apart. That instead we come here looking for God to grant us that peace and to give us some reassurance that we can come forth from this better and holier and transform the world into the kingdom that Christ called forth almost 2,000 years ago. The world's been waiting for 2,000 years to see this kingdom come forth. And yes, there are good Christians all over the world doing it. But as our media showed us this week, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot to do. And my travel and traversing this landscape goes way back to when I was four. When I was four, the family lived on a row of townhouses, right? So we were the end unit, and there was a whole row of townhouses. And a few doors down lived an older girl. I think she was like 10. And she was listening to all this popular music. And I used to go over to her house just to listen to her music. And in 1984, we were listening to Whitney Houston. And so I got to the point where I would go to her house and I would listen to Whitney Houston. 
And I loved her voice, and I loved the energy of her music. And so finally, my mother decided to buy me my own album. This is not it. It was a cassette. I'm that old. And so, and long ago, I got rid of that cassette. Um, but don't worry, I have her live stream down, so I can listen to her whenever I went through the miracles of satellite. But, and this is vinyl. This is great, too. But um, this was the album that I had, this Whitney Houston album. And I can remember looking at it on a tape, this itty-bitty little tape cover, and looking at her face and thinking, this is the most beautiful person I have ever seen. And to this day, this is one of the most beautiful people I have ever seen. So much so that at four, I told my mother that I wanted to cut my hair. Shorn, just like this. And my mom said, that's great, honey, no. Which is probably a good thing. I really don't know what's going on in my skull underneath all this hair, so this is about as close as we come. But she was beautiful, and she sang these songs, the greatest love of all. Right? I'm saving all my love for you, and how will I know? Of course, she grew up in the church. You all know that, right? There's the background there. And so Whitney Houston spoke into my heart with her songs, and she enlivened my body with her beats, and so I loved it. And it so happened that sometime later, my parents decided that we would make a trek down to Deep Creek, Chesapeake to see my grandparents. And on that journey, I took my little pink boom box, and I plugged in my cassette, and I listened to Whitney all the way down. And then we got into my grandparents' house, and went into the guest room where I would be staying, and I turned up the volume on that little pink boom box, and we were rocking out to some Whitney Houston. And then came this banging on the wall because my grandfather's room butted up against the guest room. And he called me into his room, and he said, what are you listening to? I said, I'm, I'm listening to Whitney Houston. He didn't approve of me listening to Whitney Houston. I didn't understand. I mean, can't you tell how fabulous she is? But no, he said, we don't listen to that kind of music from those kind of people. What kind of people? You see, I had to be taught that skin color was different. I mean, almost everybody's darker than I am. So the fact that she was darker than me didn't mean very much. But to my grandfather, it meant a lot. And that day I learned something that has haunted me for the rest of my life, that my grandfather was a racist. And an ugly, vicious racist. And trying to figure out how someone who can love me so much, and whom I love to the depths of my being, can hate people as equally. How can your love be countered by this hatred? How can someone who has given me so much deny everything for someone they don't even know. My grandfather has been dead for 13 years. And there was a huge hole in my heart where he was. But he has taught me that for so many of us, you can love something and recognize that it is not perfect. It is not whole. And for many people, this country, and sometimes our church, we can love them, but they are not right. There is something wrong. And I pray for my grandfather constantly, that even as he's held in trust by God Almighty for the day of resurrection, that God will work within him. Because I have a feeling when he's resurrected and he sees that Jesus is a brown man, that there's going to be a moment 
where he realizes that that hatred was completely ill-spent. That the Judean Jew who he called his savior is not light like us. But that none of that really mattered. That instead that we were called to love people because of how they made us feel. And that while my grandfather was spewing words of hate, a beautiful African-American woman was teaching me that children are the future. And that the greatest love of all is something that happens in our midst. It's a hard and difficult thing to live in a world where I thought that we had solved our race issues. I was taught that in school, that segregation had come and gone. My mother was 14 when they desegregated the schools in Chesapeake. And I can remember her saying to me, you know, they're not that different from us. That all this time we had been taught that we were separate people. And yet scripture tells us that every human being is a child of God. That every single one of us is of sacred worth, beloved, known, and named. So why are we living lives that don't reflect that? We're living in a world right now where I mourn that people feel so burdened and downtrodden that the only thing they can think of is to kill someone else. That we live in a world where people think that you are my problem and if I just kill you, my problem will be over. The spirit of the priest Amaziah is alive and well in humankind. Too often, people are willing to resort to sinful violence as if it will make things better. Violence never makes it better. There is no amount of death that are going to fix us. There is only this one love. This love of God come down in Christ Jesus and offered on the cross for you and for me and for every single life for all time. That is the only thing that will make it better. And if we continue to retaliate and to seek vengeance, we will never get anywhere. It's a downward spiral, spiral of pain and destruction and suffering. There's no glory to be found there. Is the church ready to hear Christ's message? Christ says, you don't need to worry about judging their guilt. You don't need to worry about making people pay for their sinfulness. That is my job. And I can stand here before you thankful to the last breath in my body that I have been liberated from the burden of judgment, that I don't have to determine who is right and who is wrong. I don't have to send people out and call them in. I'm not manning an elevator up or down. Instead, I have been liberated to love. And my only job is to make sure that every word and every deed, every action of this vessel reflects the unequivocal love of our Lord and Savior. That's who we're called to be. And that is the response that the world needs right now from us who bear the name Christian. 
This week, a lot of my colleagues were going back and forth, talking to one another about what do I have to say about these shootings? What in the world am I going to say? And in one moment, a colleague of mine put down, as a white male, I don't know that I should say anything. And I remember sharing that with Clifton, and Clifton saying, well, what do you have to say about where God is in all of this? And the truth is that my right to stand up before you as a white woman, as a Caucasian, as a female, as an American citizen ceased when I took on this mantle. I stand before you as clergy, as a Christian, which supersedes all categories. And as a Christian, I can tell you that what I heard reverberating in those acts of violence was not the voice of God saying, see, I told you so, but instead was human sinfulness saying, I'm alive and well, and we have work to do. God is calling to us. The world speaks in the loud booms and zings of bullets, but God speaks into the quietness of our hearts. And God is saying to us, I didn't call you to feel hatred. I called you to reflect the love that I have given to you. I didn't call you so that you could turn and devour your neighbor. Instead, I called you to love them, to pray for them, and to meet their needs. We have a decision to make about what we will see. Amos was trying to tell Amaziah, hear this for the first time. Hear it new. See it new. And respond in new ways. Can we hear again, like the first time, that we are called not to hate but to love and not to loathe but to live? Can we reject the violence of human sinfulness and instead embrace the grace of God? God has given us no vengeance to enact, but instead said to us, take this grace and give it freely. Freely we have received. Freely let us give. When you go out of these doors and you go back out into your lives in the world, I pray that God will speak and reveal new things through you. That when you hear people say the same old things about their skin color, their gender, their age, their culture, whatever it is that people want to use to divide, that you will use your gifts and your graces and your words and your love to fill that space with the glory of God. Don't let the world have its way. Instead, let us go forth and do the will of our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Christ, our Lord and our Savior, out of your redemption we are sustained. And so we come to you now in this hour of prayer, pleading for your presence to be in us and among us that as we go forth from this place, that we will not look with the same eyes and listen with the same ears and react with the same vessels, but instead transform us. Help us to be living, breathing embodiments of your love and your grace and truth. Let us go forth and love in the midst of hate. 
to live peace in the midst of violence, and to show the world that there is another, better, holier way, and that is your way. Let it not be our will, Almighty God, but yours that is done in us and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetumc.org to learn about ways you connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.